Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. Welcome back. Episode 148 of the Freight 360 Podcast. We got a good one today. We got some... uh, we got some freight news. We got some sports news. We got. We're gonna talk. We're gonna talk. Talk psychological stuff today. This is gonna be good for all you folks with, uh, you know, just the, the mindset of sales and whatnot. So, but anyway, Ben, what's uh, what's new? What's shaking with you? And not a whole hell of a lot. Super hot. Super humid. Pretty much spending all of my time either inside or in the pool. That's about it right now. This is like our January and February compared to, to like living up north. <laughs> the extremes. Oh, it's brutal. I was at the dentist this morning and then even just getting into the car and getting out. Like I've literally broke a sweat walking from our door, which is no more than 30 yards of the car. <laughs> I'm headed to Tennessee this weekend to spend the, the next week down with my company, uh, Pierce. And uh, I forgot, I like I went last year in the summer and I, it just blows my mind how different the heat is when you're not in the Northeast <laughs> in the middle of summertime. So We'll see, man. Yes. It, it'll be it'll be a good one. It'll be a good one for sure. But yeah, that's it's definitely that time of year. So I don't know how people existed without air conditioning before they came out with it. You know, they didn't live here. Yeah, they didn't live in South Florida. I mean, the population of South Florida, if you look on a timeline, it like jumps up right in the fifties when you know AC becomes kind of mainstream. Before that, there's basically very very few people that were willing to live down here. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, hey, like I said, welcome back. Make sure to share us with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry and leave us that five-star review. Helps us rank good on iTunes and Spotify and everywhere else. And, um, you know, keep uh, make sure you're subscribed. You get the latest content every single Friday. Um, I was working on some... You know, we talked accessorials in a recent episode and we're, we're I'm going to do some some content on YouTube to really break down some of the, the latest or not the latest, the, the, the detailed stuff on the common accessorial charges that folks run into. And, you know, we know our audience is typically newer brokers. So this, some of this basic one-on-one level content is, is really, really, really good. So obviously the, the freight broker basics curriculum breaks down a lot of stuff um, from start to finish with, with being a broker, but this other content that we've been coming out with, it's it's really good supp- supplemental stuff. So, you know, even if you've, you're, you know, you're trained up or you're working for a company, I definitely encourage everyone, check out the YouTube channel on our website. There's there's always new stuff coming out just about every single week. So, um, good stuff. You, you get, what's your, what do you got coming up this month for content? You got anything fun and exciting for the, for the folks out there? I don't know off the top of my head. In fact, this morning while okay. we were talking, I was just rounding out kind of the last schedule. So I've got to go and look at what the next month's schedule looks like. Um, I've got some short videos that I think I'm going to do this month too on just like common questions we get through the website, like life of a shipment, what is a hot load, LTL versus partial versus full truck load. And I mean, there are things that we can answer, I think, short, you know, in a short video, but also what you were just saying earlier is a lot of this stuff like, Again, people end up in their own kind of rabbit holes in this industry. You're working with your customers, your niches over and over again. And myself included, when you get away from things you might have even done a lot of, 
a year might pass. Like this is great refresher, especially now. People should be looking for more prospects and looking to expand their books of business because right now everybody's getting more competitive. Carriers are coming at customers directly. Brokers are trying to go and pick loads off here and there, you know, willing to run them for less to try to get more volume. So it's definitely getting more competitive out there. Yep. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So, but hey, we got another good, another good episode today. First, I want to, I want to hit on some sports stuff. Um, and then we'll hit on, I want to hit on your, the, the, uh, Freight Waves article that you pulled up. So sports, I just got a couple things here. Um, Baker, do you see Baker Mayfield, uh, left the Browns? This is, I think it was late last week and ended up in, um, Carolina, right? Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. So. Deshaun Watson for for Cleveland then um, should be interesting. It's funny I talked to some Browns fans who they were upset, and some that were like, "Ah, threw my jersey out right away." <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, he's kind of that mi- middle of the road. You know, I had high hopes for him. You know, coming out of Oklahoma and being being the the star that he was in college, but it is he's what a it is. Cannon for an arm too, but oh yeah, absolutely. Didn't pan out. At least in the, the first year, you never know. Was uh so like this? They talked about it was on ESPN I think late last week and over the weekend as well as Von Miller. So obviously, two time Super Bowl champ, right? He he won with Denver and then went to LA and won last year, and now he's he's uh, signed with the Bills. And they were he was saying that he would have rather signed with Dallas if they had uh, given offer him enough money, but they didn't even offer him close. I guess the Bills signed him for 120 million and Dallas offered him 70. And he's like, I would have taken less, but not 50 million less for yeah. the same contract. <laughs> There's a volume of the money. Yeah. yeah. So that's all I got. I mean, we're getting, we're inching closer to uh preseason football and just a handful of weeks here. And, uh, oh, actually, I don't even I don't know if I told you this, Ben. I'm going to your your old uh, neck of the woods next month, Pittsburgh, to see the Red Sox play a couple games for my oh, nice. um, PNC Park. My brother's getting married this fall, so he's doing. We're doing like a little two night um, little trip down to Pittsburgh. Just it's like a few hours down the road from Buffalo, so it'll be my first time actually hanging out in Pittsburgh. I've driven through. I've never actually hung out, so I'll have to get some tips from you. Um, and my first time seeing um, Bo- Boston play. In, or any baseball team play in Pittsburgh. So that'll be cool. Good stuff. And it's I'm a good time. Watching, I'm wearing my Bills t-shirt today. I'm just getting ready for the Bills season, you know. So. Right around the corner. Yeah. Well, hey, let's let's get into, before before we move any further, Let's. I want to skim this uh, Freight Waves article. We'll put a link in the show notes, but it's titled FMCSA Commenters Debate Whether Load Boards Should Register as Brokers. So it talks about... You know, should like DAT have to register as a broker? And then it also has a, a, a the later part of the article talks about independent dispatchers. And if, you know, can they work with more than one carrier? And if they do, should they be registered as a broker? So it's kind of a hot, you know, it's an interesting topic. Um, I, I skimmed well, through it. My, when I first read the title, I was like, no, load boards should not be there. They, they, they bring information to the market. So I'm, I'm curious. Did you have any insight on it or why you think this even came to the table? So I don't, but I read, I mean, I read it twice. And I mean, the other side, and I think, and here I'll cite who it was that took the opposing opinion. Because I had the same one when I started reading. I'm like, this is really an article? I'm like, what? Like, why would they be considered a broker, right? I'm like, oh, okay, read through it. And then I'm like, well, 
the truck safety groups, and it said a joint petition filed by the Truck Safety Coalition, Citizens for Reliable and Safe Highways, and Parents Against Tired Truck Drivers um, stated that electronic load boards, by virtue of accepting, approving, and listing carriers on its platform, has determined that these providers met its standards for inclusion on its platform, whatever those may be, seeing as some level of selection has taken place. Broker authority should be required. Now, I mean, that's kind of, I think, still even pretty loosely as far as an argument. But again, this was one, there was another one that said, you know, it went on to say load board scammers, you know, and it notes, you know, illegal double brokering have cost the industry nearly $100 million annually. And there really isn't much recourse for the load boards, right? There isn't much accountability when these things happen. I know DAT is really good about it um, in regards to when you tell them and you notify them, they will pull yeah. them down. But again, there isn't a lot of recourse. And again, I think there is a fair point that if that is the market that freight is going through, maybe there should be some, I don't want to say regulation, but maybe, I don't know. I think that was the only point in there that I was like, well, maybe, I don't know. I, I don't know how they would do it either. How would you do like, it anyway? Here's my take. And this goes with a lot of regulations is they try to cast this net to cover a, a specific thing. And then by like almost collateral damage, it captures things it doesn't intend to it. Yes. Like, for example, California's that bill AB5, right? That wanted to it was intended for like Uber and Lyft drivers, right? To, mm-hmm. Are they are they employees or independent contractors? But by casting that net, it looped in like truck drivers, uh, independent freight agents. Like it caught all these people that fell under that transportation category. I don't want to go on a tangent on that, but I am curious because I know that that, that was my take on that was the origination of the AB5, but I also remember reading a lot, and this is pre that AB5. So I'm talking like five, six years ago. There were a lot of, um, disgr- I would say, disgruntled carriers that were really being basically turned into like indentured servants through like lease owner op programs. And one of the things they were talking about back then is, you know, like these guys basically end up in a position where they are never paying off their truck, right? They, yeah. They're owner operators, but they get none of the benefits of being an owner op and they get all of the downside of not being an employee. And they were showing that like there were a lot of trucking companies, specifically in California, that were taking advantage of this. And, you know, and I remember that I'm like, what? That is legitimately an issue. On the other hand, that AB5 is specifically going to impact drayage a ton because a lot of owner ops run drayage. You don't need a big routing guide and a lot of other services to run drayage. You're all local. Like, need a dispatcher and that's about it. So it has the potential to, like your point, drastically disrupt the entire drayage market coming out of the port. And I think unintentionally in some ways. And yeah. that's what I read about the AB5 too last week, you know, as that was making news again. Yeah, it has made news again. Um, I, I was, I, I'm with you though. I was going back to the original thing, like what, five years ago or whatnot. Yeah. And um, you make, you make a good point there though, on those owner ops that are, you're like, you call them indentured servants. You're not far off. Um, I think what, the freight, because obviously I work a lot with agents that are 1099 and they got looped into it too. And it's like, whoa. So mm-hmm. we, we looked at it. This is like years back. And we're like, okay, do all of our do all of our agents now have to form LLCs to become businesses that we contract with? So it's not an individual on the W9. It's actually a business entity. It was it got all kinds of goofiness. So so anyway, well, that's loop um, back to this though. But I want to loop back yes. because I wanted to cover the dispatch piece at the end of this article, right? Same, yeah. One point, like they're asking the FMCSA to give better guidelines on dispatchers, like where they are, what they aren't, right? And the one suggestion is that 
If you've got more than one customer, you're now illegally dispatching. Um, and I think which side proposed that? Uh, I think it was actually the TIA um, that proposed that if you, the definition of a dispatcher should basically only entertain like one customer. When you're working with many carriers, you're now performing the function similar to a broker. I don't disagree wholeheartedly with that. So when I think about dispatchers, go back like 10 years ago, right? It was common for someone that said that, that I'm a dispatcher. They worked either for the actual trucking company dispatching mm-hmm. the trucks or they were contracted and they just worked for that trucking company. And it became so much more prevalent in the recent like three to five years that, you know, freight boomed and, you know, there was a lot of opportunity there. The market's exploding, demand's going up that just like people hopped into brokerage, people yep. hopped into this independent dispatching thing and they they got all the benefits that brokers have without having to go find customers. Mm-hmm. So the other definition, kind of- yeah. And the other definition was um, they said, you know, if a business, so basically OIDA, right. Um, said the opposite saying, if a business or entity is acting in a financial role between a shipper and the carrier, this makes them a broker. That's what OIDA said. Representing more than one carrier as a dispatch service or bona fide agent does not automatically constitute brokering without authority. So you've got one suggestion that it should be limited by customers. Another suggestion that it, if you are in the transaction, to your point, like you're operating as a broker, I think that's probably pretty strict. But again, to your point, like these are such broad nets. Like I operate with dispatch services in Drayage and have for my entire career, and they provide a valuable service. A lot of them know each other, but they all own their own companies. Yeah. They want to have their own legal entities. They don't want to work together. And oftentimes, like in Chicago, I've got like six cousins and relatives. They all know each other. They're all a family, but they all wanted their own company. So they all hire one dispatcher that is, by the way, related to them. And I'm like, I don't see anything wrong with that. Right. Yeah. But again, I don't know where you draw that line, but it's it's going to be interesting. I'm I'm more. Yeah, I'm more on your side of the fence, too. Like it's the. A good dispatcher adds value. And I am not. My overall philosophy is that when. It's, it's generally not good for business when the government enacts regulations. And I say that as a broad thing. I don't want always unintended consequences. I'll say that always are unintended consequences. Yes. Every time you apply regulation or rules or policies to any human beings in any scenario, unintended consequences happen. Yes. So, um, but, and to the other side of that is I want to drive the point home that the financial be interacting on the financial side of things is where a lot of times people that are new to brokerage, they don't realize that we're, we are the bank. We're playing, we're playing the bank in this Mm -hmm. role and the dispatchers are not. So I think it's fair to draw the line there. So I don't have an issue with that. Um, And again, I think good, good dispatchers and dispatch services add tremendous value to carriers to find good loads and to brokers to, to match up capacity. The same, you know, if you can sprinkle good load board um, availability, good rate indexes and, um, you know, data like that with good human intelligence with in relationships with dispatch services, you can have a really, really good smooth operating, uh, you know, machine here. Um, but you're going to always have some bad eggs that cross the line. And you have to, I think you have to, you just have to draw the line somewhere. I just don't know what that line is. All right. Well, let's give a shout out to our friends over at DAT speaking of load boards before we get yeah, into the episode. Take, 
Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT load board network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, and you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of Power Express or Trucker's Edge. And if any of you are considering adding to your licenses, adding seats, please use the link. Um, help support us. Doesn't cost you anything. In fact, it saves you your first 30 days on the uh, next seat subscription. So and we'll have some fun support coming up with DAT this year as well. We're, we're looking yeah. to do another webinar or so or two or whatever. And um, yeah, good stuff. And I know they're they're. If you know if you're a DAT user, you've probably seen some slight changes in the way you log in. Uh, we were using an email instead of a, a username. And that's just kind of the, the beginning of them transitioning to, is it, I think DAT1 is the product. Um, it's a new and improved DAT. So it's going to be good stuff. Um, all right. Well, today's episode is, I try to think of a title, right? And the whole, the whole concept is all about, you know, we talk about uh, paralysis analysis, right? Or analysis by paralysis or wh- whatever you want to, or paralysis by analysis, whatever the, the, the whole concept is, we don't actually take action because we just keep planning, 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 and we never feel like we're ready to do the next thing. And that is a trap that we can fall into very easily as a broker when you're making sales calls, when you're prospecting, anything. And I'll tell you, I fall victim to this myself still to this day, not as much as I used to, but I still do. And it was really, really bad back in the beginning of my sales days where literally I would sit there and I would spend like two hours just trying to have the perfect Excel sheet of who I wanted to call that day. And I had every little detail about them. And I quickly realized like, you know, I'm spending so much time just trying to prepare myself that I didn't actually take action or I didn't take action soon enough and I lost productivity. So, I mean, we probably have all fallen victim to that, right? Huge for me. It was the biggest issue I had when I first started my career. I remember when my first manager sat down with me and like, just because of everything I did before this, I worked in analysis at, in financial analysis and like trying to understand things. And I really believe that I could like somehow do enough research that I could find the right prospect instead of having to call all the prospects, right? Spending all this time trying to find the right industry, the right person to call, the right lead at the right time of day. And like at the end of doing that for about a month, I remember my manager sat down with me and he goes, Ben, do you trust me? I go, well, yeah. And Plus, he'd been doing it 15 years, and I didn't trust the guy. He goes, will you just do something with me for the next four weeks? And I go, well, what is it? And he goes, just tell, tell me if you trust me, you'll do what I suggest. And I went, all right, I'll do it. I mean, I've only been in the job, you know, just out of training. I'm like, just in the sales, first month in getting shippers. And he goes, just pick a category at the beginning of every week. Tell me what that is. You can pick two or three, and every day go at that category and do nothing but get activity in. Don't worry about what you're going to end up with. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry about any of these things. Just put the activity out, put the energy out, make the phone calls. Here's the list of questions to have next to you. Just do this. And I gave him all the reasons why I didn't think it was going to work. And I'm sure there was a back and forth where I argued a little bit. But at the end of it, I went, well, I haven't made any money yet. I don't have any customers and I don't feel like I'm getting any closer to it. So this is better than what I'm doing. Yeah. And sure shit, like, Five weeks into it, it wasn't in the first four, but like right before my sixth week, I flipped like on a number of customers within that period, but one really big one that like helped kind of launch my career. And to this day, that has just always stuck with me. And to your point, I have that propensity all of the time. It's what makes me good at 
determining where to go when I'm prospecting. But if I do too much of it, just like anything else in life, our assets can also be our weaknesses, right? What make yeah. us really good are also our impediments when we do them to the extreme. So I had, uh, I, I, I always think back to like my early, early sales days when I go back to retail, right? So I, I used to sell like high-end home theater stuff for Best Buy. So mm-hmm. the, if you've ever been to a Best Buy that has a Magnolia home theater section in it, there's only a, a handful, uh, like each region might have one. So there was like one of the Best Buy stores in Buffalo had it and I worked there. But I was so overwhelmed by the fact that there was like $10,000 TVs and like $5,000 receivers and surround sound systems. And so when I'd walk, when I was training and I was walking around with one of the sales guys there, I would just kind of listen to him, ask questions to the customers that walked in and all that. And after a couple of weeks, he's like, are you like, are you ready to start taking these folks on yourself and just kind of go through? And I'm like, no, I'm st- you know, I still got to, I got to learn this. I got to learn that. Learn more. And eventually, like literally Ben, he like, Somebody walked up, he just kind of like shoved me in front of them, was like, go. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was so like, I was intimidated and overwhelmed. But like, what I quickly realized is that that person that comes into the store has way less of an idea and way less knowledge on the product than you do, right? Or than I did. Yes. And I knew a lot more than I thought I did. And I was way more ready than I thought I was. I think I was just nervous or overwhelmed to, you know, go and actually do the sales interaction and it's okay if you don't have an answer to something because you can always, you can, you can do the whole, Hey, that's a great question. I don't, I don't know. And I don't want to give you bad information. So let me, let me write that down and um, I'll find out and I'll definitely get that information for you. And that people know when they're being BS'd, but if you can be honest and tell them you don't know something and get back to them, it speaks volume to your character. And that same concept applies with, you know, sales and freight brokerage and transportation in general. So, and then even I think now I do it way less now. So I, I know you just have to take action on stuff and you'll figure stuff out, but I, I get into this like overly organized thing where I have like my to-do list and it's broken out by category of this, that, and the other thing. And then usually like once a week, I'll be like, I got so much crap on this list. Like I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm just going to start banging these out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And guess what? I don't have a perfect solution right now for this specific task, but I'm going to figure it out along the way because I've been able to do it for a decade or more. Um, so it's yep. the whole, I mean, the whole solution to this is take action, right? But yeah. it's so hard sometimes to get ourselves to do that. Well, the, the reality is so there's two things, right, that are really interesting there. And, and one of the things that jumps out at me is, well, the first thing that you pointed out, which is it absolutely speaks to your character. When you say and you don't know the answer, most of the time, the other person can feel that. They might not hear, but they know or they can get a good gut feeling towards that, right? And that speaks to your character. So when you are upfront and honest and you say, look, genuinely, I, I'm not 100% certain, pretty sure, but I want to get clarity on this before I give you any bad information. Like, again, that is a huge rapport building thing. That is a huge character uh, expression of your character, right? Yeah. The other side to your point, right, which is the solution is to take action, right? And it's like, there's a, there's another, here's a cliche or quote that always stuck with me. It's like, you can act your way into a new way of thought, but you can never think your way into a new way of action. There's right? our proverb. Well, there's your brain only functions really one way. And it's like, you can think all day long that you want your behavior to change, but even though rationally the front of your brain realizes it and you understand it, and you could sit down and you could speak about it. What drives you to actually act is the older part of your brain. They call it the lizard part of your brain. It's responsible for breathing, your heart rate, your fight or flight reflex, which is exactly what you were feeling. 
which is exactly what every one of us feels a little bit of every time we pick up that phone and put ourselves in a vulnerable position, a position where we don't know what they're going to say, where they might hang up, where they might say something that hurts our feelings and it makes us uncomfortable. That's the fight or flight part. That's the old part of your brain. The logical part, the part of reasoning can't override that. You can't think your heart and to stop beating, right? And you can't think your way out of being scared. You've got to either feel that emotion or act on it. And if you act on it, that thought that makes you feel like you're going to be scared, like what you were saying, starts to go away a little bit at a time. Yeah. The action, even though it's scary to take the first step, does get easier every time you take that action, right? Yep. So you think about folks that are building a book of business and starting to make their their first dozen or so dials and there's that 300 pound phone yeah i feel that phone's gonna be so heavy and i'm nervous because here's here's what their expectation their mind tells them is i'm gonna be told no and i'm not ready for that or i'm not gonna know the answers to questions that they have about rates or you know our capacity in a certain region or i'm not an expert in this specific niche or market yet well guess what nobody is at first and if you can lower your expectations and expect that the first couple hundred calls, they're they're not meant for you to get business. They're meant for you to develop practice. Not it, it, first of all, as a as a salesperson in general, but to develop and understand and learn the industry and how your shippers and customers think and operate and the questions that go through their mind. You're you're yes. you're really you're learning what it's like to be in their shoes in those first couple hundred calls, and you should have no expectation to be landing customers out of those calls. So Here's you have to just favorite. take action and set the bar so low and know that you're gonna develop mm-hmm. from it. And I think a really good analogy that I've always kept in my mind is, it's very similar to like the first professional interview or the first interview you've ever had in your life, right? You, maybe you expect to get that job, but you're super nervous and what do you do? Like, if you're prepared, you ask a lot of questions and you learn about that company. You learn about what other people are doing there. Hopefully you learn about that role. You learn about the needs of this position, right? And then you come away from that interview, whether you got the job or not, with a better understanding of that company, that organization, and why they're hiring somebody to begin with, right? Those questions are what lead you to the better understanding. Nothing that you are bringing or saying, you're not going into an interview where they're expecting you to tell them how to do this job better than they need you to do the job, right? It's all trying to understand it from that point of view. It's the same thing in a sales call. Most people go in and think they're trying to tell this prospect why they're so great and they need to be worked with, right? But again, it's the questions that lead to the understanding. And if you realize you have the expectation of, I want to learn more about this industry today, not I'm expecting to get a customer today, you end up with better results, better rapport, better questions, and a better understanding to use the next day. And a lot of stories oftentimes, right, that you can use the next day. So I want to, I want to expand on what you, what you said about asking questions. So a lot of people think, again, this is a, it's a, it's a, it's not the right way to, to think, but it's common that people do this at first is they're like, well, I have to have this whole pitch and this whole presentation and I'm, I'm not going to know what to say. And I don't, I don't have enough knowledge yet to, you know, it's going to get signed on the phone. Well, no, because guess what? You should be asking questions and listening to their response. So there's not a whole lot of work that goes in on your end, except for listening, taking notes. And then after the fact, you can develop some kind of a plan or a solution, if that's even a, a, a customer that's a good fit for you. But you don't have to, all you really have to know going into these calls is know some key questions to ask. And we've covered a whole bunch of them in our other shows and blogs and videos and everything. I just did a video that got released that'll be released this week that has a lot of the consequence 
challenge questions, operational questions, and solution questions. Yeah, be absolutely. Friday. And this is where you can, you know, listen in on some of your your coworkers or someone else. Just shadow somebody for an hour when they're when they're dialing, and just pick up on the questions that they're asking and write them down. Just have a, have a list of, you know, I, I know we've talked scripts before. Have a list of the questions that you can reference easily to ask, right? And there's generally an order in which you would ask them, right? You don't want to go out of order. You're not gonna you're not gonna ask somebody. You're not gonna ask somebody about the details of you know, a specific shipment and then ask them, oh, do you guys ship full truckload? Because, you know, you kind of, you kind of progress and you do it in order. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but having a list of those is is perfect because if you spend two thirds or three quarters of that conversation listening to what that person's saying and validating back to them, that that active listening skill of validating back to them, what they're communicating to you, you're doing a very, very good job. That only leaves another sliver or you know maybe a quarter of the conversation for you to be talking which is going to be you asking the questions that you already have written down or on your computer screen right in front of you so and then as time goes on and you start to get a rhythm for how these calls go and what makes a call go in a certain direction and how your tone of voice and how you ask questions and how standing up and smiling on the phone and all this stuff how it impacts the the flow of the conversation once you can kind of master that and develop those muscles then you're going to have way better intuition of how to hop on a phone call and direct it in the in the in the way that you want it to go versus just asking questions. Because now you know down the road you ask a question, they give you an answer. Now you're going to have a story to tell them. Oh yeah, you know what? That's that's funny because I, I talked to this guy the other day that you know fill in the blank, right? And that's yep. just that's just the path. It's it's there's no you can't prepare to be great at being a freight broker without hopping on the phone and just making calls and talking to people. So yep. that's, that, that's your, uh, you know, bottom line up front is you just got to take action. Well, and I think this is, and I want to tie this in a little bit too, for um, like from the brokerage side, you know, you and I talked about this a little bit. We've talked about this since we've known each other, like business plans, right. And trying to predict what's going to happen oh, yeah. from like a management point of view, right? Like you're managing a team, maybe, maybe you're the owner of a company, maybe you got 50 people, maybe you've got five to 25 people, right? But I also think, um, myself included, right? Running companies and running businesses, like we're just, I'm just as susceptible to paralysis by analysis and as in management and in CEO roles as I've been in the sales role, right? Where like you, we want to know what's happening. We want to have control over the future. So we start relying on, you know, plans and like what we think this is going to look like. But the reality is, is what drives this industry forward or any individual business or any individual person with a book of business is exactly what we just talked about. Action, picking up the phone. What are your income generating activities, right? And when you get and you start working with some of these managers, some of these companies, like there's so much emphasis on control and wanting these things put in place. And the reality is, is like there's less and less focus on like, what does the sales funnel of the whole company look like? What are the top prospects of your entire organization? If you can start asking some and answering some of those questions, I feel like you're much better served than trying to guess what you think is going to happen a quarter from now, three quarters from now, and over the next year, right? Yeah. It's all going back to like, what's going to move the needle and what is your top priority? If it's growth and if it's to make more money, then look at what the activity is and is it an income producing activity? Yeah, there's so there's two things I want to hit on it. First one's the business plan, and second thing is is going to be on like hiring. So the the business plan side, I've seen this so much where I have people that they start up as an agent, and they're 
instead of just, you know, let's say they waited out and not compete or they took a small break and they've, they've got to get back into prospecting, right? They'll spend two months trying to get everything perfect, right? I've got to have the perfect home office. I've got to have the right CRM. I've got to have the best phone headset. You know, I've got to make all this marketing material. It's like, no, just start picking up the phone. Just do what you've already done in the past that has made you successful. Or if you haven't done in the past, do the things that you know other people have done in the past that have led to them being successful in the role that you're trying to do. It's the the over analysis of the business plan, and if you're being if you're going to be ready, because guess what? When you let's say you got four things you want to do, by the time you finish that fourth one, you'll have a fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, and you'll just you'll never yes. you'll never be ready. So it's it's kind of like just start and make adjustments as needed. And the other side of that, I see it with hiring. I see people that they, their book of business grows and they know, and I know, and we'll talk about it. It's time to hire somebody if you want to sustain this growth. Otherwise, you're going to plateau. And or drown. Make a list, or get to a place where it's almost impossible to hire because you've grown beyond your time constraints and you yeah. now have no bandwidth left. And, well, in addition, and that, yes, 100%. That's that leads that's an even more complex um, issue that they'll run into. But even before that, oftentimes they're like, you know, I'm like, what's the job? You know, what is the job description? And like, you know, I, I haven't had, I don't, it's not written out perfectly yet. I'm still trying to fine tune that. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm just, just talk to me. Talk to me like person to person. Yes. What is this person going to do? And then you find out like they already know it's just not in the format that they think it has to be in. And I, and I always tell people like, the first fire or the first hire and the first fire are the hardest, but you also learn so much from them. You're typically not yes. going to, your first hire is not going to be the perfect, you know, fit for what you thought it was going to be. And it's not going to be perfect, right? You might have somebody that they might not like the job and they thought they did. They mm-hmm. may not be as good at the position as you both thought that this person would be, uh, right? Or you might hire somebody and find out, you know what? They they might actually be better to take on some of this stuff. And I never even thought about it. So the whole thing is like if you're going to hire, figure out what it is like the basic tasks, hire them and then adjust as needed. Right. Instead of I've got to have the perfect thing. And then, you know, they set their expectations so high they hire somebody and then Nate, I don't understand. Like they're just not picking up on it. And, you know, we started as I ask questions and they're like, well, I didn't think about that. It's like, no, you just get together some some ideas of what they're going to do interview some people, hire somebody and expect that they may or may not work out. You've got to lower that expectation down to reality instead of thinking you're just going to hit a home run on the first first time you hire somebody. So we, yeah, so business plans and hiring, I mean, it's the same thing. This We analyze way too much instead of just taking action and making adjustments. I want to go back to something you said too that was in there and it's probably the most valuable thing I've learned life lesson wise from this industry. And it was same topic, but now I'm running business, right? So we'll say it's a year later, I'm running a book of business, like, I don't know, 10 to 15K, like 30 loads a week, give or take, right? And again, I am spending an awful lot of time trying to determine what is going to go wrong before it has gone wrong, right? Like, I think this is going to happen. If we can do this, we can probably prevent this, like a lot of time, right? Same thing, same manager sits down with me a year later and goes, Ben, one of the things, and again, these he would always speak kind of from his own point of view, right? Not like telling you what to do. Like, this is what's worked for me. You know, let's see if this would work for you. And he was like, look, Ben, the one thing that I learned after about five years in this industry is that like, you're never going to be able to predict what's going to happen. So if you spend any energy trying to come up with a solution to a problem that doesn't actually happen, you've wasted all that time, right? 
You don't get your confidence by predicting problems. In fact, not only in our industry, but in any business, you get your confidence from knowing that when it happens, you're confident enough to come up with a solution or to ask a person to help you and to have that person around and then to work from there, right? It's like the confidence is not prior where the paralysis by analysis is. It's again, act, move the load, get it moving. If you've got an issue, you will figure it out after the issue has happened. Because if you're sitting there trying to plan for all these things, you're wasting a tremendous amount of time that also you're not prospecting or you're not growing your book or you're not building the next relationship. And again, it's, I always think about this too from the economic point of view. And every time I look at the news every week right now, things are changing so fast. Nobody knows what next week's gonna look like. Nobody does. If you read articles on the economy last week, people are like, oh, the rest of this year is gonna be great. S&P is gonna increase, stocks are gonna pick back up. Now the consumer price index came out, inflation looked worse than they predicted. Now the sky is falling again. Every time a new piece of information comes out, everybody jumps to react and all of the sentiment changes. And it only goes to show that like, nobody knows what's gonna happen next week, next month, or the rest of this year. You do know what you can do today and what you can do that is gonna make you more money. Take those actions and have the confidence or have somebody in your orbit. They don't need to be a coach. It doesn't need to even be someone in your company. Have a friend that works in the industry reach out, network, have another guy that a broker or girl that you can call that's been in the industry a year ahead of you, right? That's enough. They're not going to happen every day, but having these people around is going to help you a ton at dealing with this issue on that side. Yep. And um, lastly, on this this note is, you know, having some way to hold yourself accountable is going to be huge. So whether, whether you want to be held accountable on the amount of time you spend doing something or the amount of phone calls you're going to make or whatever the case might be, if you don't have any way to hold yourself accountable, like a coworker or a manager or just a friend or a spouse, it could be anything depending on your work environment. If you don't have that, you're very susceptible to being like, mm, no one's really going to hold me to this. So I'm just going to skip those 50 calls today and I'll do them tomorrow. And then yep. guess what? Now you're 50 calls behind and then same thing happens tomorrow. And now you're 100 calls behind and it's a snowball effect. So find a way to hold yourself accountable. At the end of the day, you have to take action. Go out there and do it. What's the worst that happens? You don't get well, a new I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the worst thing that happens. The worst thing that happens is you don't do it. The, the, the highest cost is inaction, staying where you are. Everybody think risk is if you're doing something. Well, if I stay here, I don't have any risk. It is the riskiest thing not to do these things because guess what? There are thousands, tens of thousands of people around the country right now trying to call your customer one way or another and going to be offering them lower rates Maybe better service, maybe worse service, but they're competing. They're trying to take it, right? And that's what's always going to happen in a market like this. Carriers are doing it. Other brokers are doing it. And if you're not on your toes, actively building relationships with your current and adding relationships to it, it's shrinking. It's not getting yep. bigger. It's not just going to organically expand on itself. Yep. You're absolutely right. Well, hey, we got uh, a good good discussion on it. Hopefully everyone has a good takeaway. Um, let us know what you think and, you know, send us some feedback through the website or email and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take it with a, with a strong heart. Uh, we got three Q&A questions here today, but first going to give a shout out to our friends over at Lean Solutions Group. Lean Solutions Group is the industry leader in nearshore staffing solutions with offices in South America, including freight broker back office operations, accounting, tech development, business development, marketing, customer service, and many other positions. To learn more about the vast solutions that Lean has to offer your freight brokerage or agency, visit them online at www.leangroup.com. Again, visit them online at leangroup.com. All right, our first 
question. And these actually all came from our group, our Facebook group in the last uh, handful of days. So we've got it pretty cleaned up now, which I'm happy about. We got all the junk off of there. We're still, you know, a couple of them pop up every now and then you get some spammy videos and yeah, take them down. Um, All right. First question. Why do so many drivers and owner operators want dedicated lanes? So we've talked about this recently. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming they mean why why do they want dedicated lanes now versus in the past? And I'm just going to say it's probably predictability, right? Because we saw they One. before they wanted spot loads because they could just go chase money, right? And now they're like, it's a little uncomfortable. Rates are going back down. Where's the floor? Is, it, is the floor falling out? If I can get dedicated lanes, it's consistent. I don't have to think about it. The money is going to be there. That's my take on it. If I'm if I'm putting myself in the shoes of an owner op or as a you know a, a a leased on driver or something, that's why I want a dedicated lane. What do you think? Yeah, one is it's less risky because at least you know what it is and you can base your budget around it. You know what your bills are. If you got enough of these loads on a weekly or monthly basis, you know you can cover all of your expenses as a business owner and as a person, right? Um, would also suggest that brokers do the same thing and look for also dedicated lanes and not only work in the spot market, right? Um, Another reason is if you're working on dedicated or you've got contract lanes, you can usually get an FSC, a fuel surcharge in there. So you've got a you know line haul rate that stays the same, but you got a variable to predict for the fuel. If you're in the spot market, that's all rolled into one. And if it keeps going down, and again, shippers don't make the market go down, brokers don't make the market go down. The market goes down mostly because carriers are taking loads from a shipper or a broker. So somebody's moving it for that. I mean, it's not like any individual parties moving this market. So when you can have less risk, you know, obviously that's preferable over having no idea if you can pay your bills next week. Yep. No, that's a good point. Being able to predict, uh, you know, for your business in general on the financial side of it, that's, that's huge. All right. Next question. Once I get my authority, what's the next step for me as a new broker? Well, I'm going to go back to our, our whole topic today. It's going to, it's going to come down to, to making the phone calls. But, you know, in reality, to, to give a, a nice soft answer here is now that you're licensed, it's time to get out there and start making yourself known. And at the same time, you're going to want to get your list of uh, shippers that you want to call on and start calling. But it's not just the customer side. You should be reaching out to carriers as well. It should be a kind of a you, you kind of do both. And I, th- I think you and Chris Jolly did a, a, an episode when I was out the one week and talked about like, what comes first, the shipper or the carrier. And they kind of both have to, they have to kind yeah. of both be there. So I don't think it's, I think it's good to start to get out there on both sides of it, right? Talk to carriers and see what they're looking for. Talk to shippers and start prospecting on that side. Um, you know, you're right. You don't do one or the other. You kind of bounce back and forth. You got some interest from a shipper, reach out to some carriers, find out if you can fulfill the interest. Then you get some more information from the carriers, then maybe go back to the same shipper, then maybe a different shipper. And you try to find some interest there. Then you're back to the market. Then you're back to that shipper and then maybe back to the first shipper. And you're just constantly working from one side to the other. Yep. It's, it isn't column A or column B, to your point. It's definitely both. It kind of reminds me of like the the role of like a real estate agent, right? It's they shouldn't mm-hmm. they're not just going after people trying to buy a house and not just going after people that are trying to sell a house. They need both. So they might have, you know, this person was looking for a certain kind of house and they go and then they find a seller and it's not it's not the exact kind of house, but maybe that house is a good fit for someone else that's looking to buy and you know, it's the whole back and forth thing. So but yeah, what do you do next? Just take action get together your list of leads and start making phone calls and talk to carriers. 
All right. Last question is, what does a freight agent contract look like? And I, I'll tell you that somebody in the group answered and responded and said it. It looks like a, a broker carrier contract. <laughs> Not really. I mean, it's a contract and <laughs> it's a legal yeah. document. Um, I deal with the freight agent contracts a lot. So I'll tell you what they typically look like is a uh, an independent contractor agreement. So it's going to outline the duties and responsibilities of both parties. And by both parties, I mean the licensed brokerage company and the contracted agent, right? It'll tell you who's doing what, who's responsible for what, how much you're getting paid for doing what, when you're getting paid, what percentage you're getting paid, what you're allowed to use, what you're, you know, what you are not allowed to do. So like, for example, you know, as an independent agent, you're not supposed to be supplied any like computer or phone and stuff like that. Um, you'll see things like um, you, you have access to our marketing material, but we're not going to furnish it for you because that would deem you an employee of ours and not a contractor, stuff like that. Um, but it lays out the relationship. And then you'll see a lot of addendums in there that'll talk about how our claims handled, um, maybe a requirement for a background check. You'll probably see a W-9 in there, um, some basic profile contact information, stuff like that. Um, it'll also talk about what's provided as far as technology, if there's any costs involved, stuff like that. But it's at the end of the day, it's an independent contractor agreement. That is what an agent contract will look like. Um, I would recommend if you're if you're trying to contract somebody, use a legal professional to have something drafted up that meets exactly what you are trying to do. Because I've had people say to me, hey, can you send me a copy of your agent contract? And I'm not just going to do that because it's written specifically in a way that suits the needs of, of you know, our brokerage company. Yeah. Um, and that's not the same way that every brokerage company operates. So that's my take on it. Um, anything that you've seen in an agent contract that I'd skipped over? No. I mean, you pretty much covered everything. I mean, things to look at if you are reviewing an agent contract, look at it. Is there, is there a required like amount of time that you, are bound by the contract for that's something to look at um is there an exclusive, um, exclusive non-exclusive yeah exclusive a- non-exclusive um yeah i mean those are things that some some brokerages have and some of them don't so good questions though. i'm glad to see the group getting involved there, you know a lot of this stuff in our group is um folks trying to connect you know whether it's broker dispatcher carrier trying to find capacity or find loads in certain lanes and i love to see that but i also love these questions where people are they just they want some knowledge and some they want to learn a couple things from experienced folks there's always, there's always some trolls in there I saw one guy the other day that was i just wanted to, to, to delete him but said sometimes i'll sit back and eat popcorn and, and read the comments because it makes it fun so i do a little bit of both depends yeah. on the mood i'm in yeah yeah for sure but uh, good episode, man. It's a. Uh, it's yeah. always good to to do. You know, instead of us just talking about a specific educational topic, you got to think about the mindset because we're all humans. And something I always had to remind myself if I'm ever afraid to pick up the phone and call somebody is they're a human just like I am. They have imperfections just like I do. You know, they put their pants on the same way as I do. It's one of the old sayings, right? So it's it's not as intimidating as you think it might be. 
So. Here's the other thing too, on that same point, right? I was astounded at like, once I actually started to meet the people that I was prospecting, like, I think you put them up on, at least I did put them up on like this pedestal, right? Oh, it's yeah. this like super important business guy, right? I need to say like the perfect thing to you or they're going to, and it's like, when you meet them, oftentimes, well, in my case, a lot of them are younger, way younger than I expected, which yeah. was one that I just didn't see in my head, my mind's eye, they're like always 10 or 15 years older, always like you know, just at this other level when I started. And then you're like, meet them. You're like, oh, this is just like one of my friends. Oh, it's just like somebody like I hang out with. Oh, yep. this is like just, and it's like, I don't even want to use the word normal person, but like that's literally what went through my head. I'm like, yep. and I don't know what I thought a not normal person was, but like, I just remember how surprised I was at how down to earth, like when you go and meet some of the shippers and your customers and like yeah. your impression when you're trying to get them is just, or at least for myself, is usually just a much different. And again, it's usually overwhelming. It's bigger. It's scarier. And then you're like, oh, shit, this is well, just here's you know, why somebody- too, is you, sometimes you well, we can't see this person in, you know, yes. in real time. Right. So oftentimes we're looking at their title and you might even mm-hmm. maybe you'll see like a professional photo on LinkedIn. And you're like, oh, my gosh, yeah. this person's wearing a suit. They're a director. And it's like, yeah, they're that's a professional LinkedIn photo and they are the director of transportation. But, oh, by the way, it's a very mid-sized company. So it's them and one other person getting trucks booked. So Yeah, it's two and, people that are booking trucks and they're like their daughter's soccer coach and they do the exact same things on the weekends you do. And like yep. they have a family and it's just like, again, we always kind of do this. Like we make out our fears to be bigger than they are. And then the impasse, right? The paralysis gets bigger and bigger the more we think about it. And then it just seems like super overwhelming. We're like, oh, I just can't do that. I'm going to do something else instead, right? Exactly. So, yep. well, good episode, good talk, man. man. Looking forward to more good ones up ahead. So, and I'll be recording from Tennessee next week. So I'll be, I'll have a different background. When you head down? What's that? When you head down? Heading down on Sunday, coming back next Friday. So it'll be it'll be a good trip. It's always good to get down and get you know be in person with everybody that you work with. So get some of well, those hot ben, chicken any, sandwiches. Uh, what's that? Some of those hot chicken sandwiches. You got oh, you got dude, Nashville, right? I love me what? some Nashville hot chicken. I still haven't been to like the original place, and I'm gonna try to try to get some this time. I've you know it's kind of like chicken wings in Buffalo, like. Yeah. You know, there's the original place and then there's like a hundred places that all have wings. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, um, I, I've, I've had a handful of, um, spots down there, but there's, I forget the name of the one that's like real big, but I, I walked past it on Broadway street on St. Patty's day when I was, um, leaving my hotel, getting ready to go to the airport last time I was in town. And, um, the line was like, it had to be like 300 people long, like all the way out the door down the street. And it was like a fast food type joint to get a sandwich. And I'm like, man, like, is it always that busy? And then I'm like, oh, it's a Friday. It's St. Patty's Day. A lot of people. And I'm in a touristy area. Like, yeah. yeah. So I didn't, either way, I didn't wait an hour to get a chicken sandwich that time. But who knows? Maybe this time. Maybe I'll go for like lunch or something. We'll see. But all right. What hey, do you man. got closing uh, thoughts here? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the Contact Us form on our site and we'll see you next week.